Welcome to the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission's Criminal Justice Spotlight Podcast. In honor of Crime Victim Rights Week, we are pleased to bring to you an episode focused on justice for victims, specifically exploring the Crime Victim Compensation Program. This program provides financial assistance to victims of violent crimes in Arizona, helping to alleviate some of the financial burdens that can arise from being a victim of crime. In this episode, we will discuss the program's ins and outs, how it works, and the impact it can have on victims and their families. Join us as we delve into this important topic and celebrate the strides made to support and empower victims of crime in our state. Next up in the spotlight, in honor of Crime Victim Rights Week, we shine a light on the Crime Victim Compensation Program. With us today is Heather Bonet, the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission's Victim Services Manager, who is sitting in as my co-host on this episode. And we have a special guest, Heather. Thank you, Tony. I want to introduce to the listeners, we have Shauna Mitchie with us today. Shauna is the Bureau Chief for the Victim Compensation Program with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. So, Shauna, welcome. Thank you. Yes, welcome, Shauna. Thank you for sitting in with us. Before we start, in honor of Crime Victim Rights Week, I wanted to first thank you both and your staff for the work you do in serving victims of crime. Your job is one where when you are at your best, you're dealing with people experiencing pain and loss, sometimes at that point in their life at their worst. Crime Victim Rights Week is an annual event that honors the resilience and strength of victims and survivors of crime. This week serves as a reminder of the importance of supporting and advocating for victims' rights, including their right to be heard, protected, and access the resources and services they need to heal and recover. We acknowledge that the challenges that victims and their families face and reaffirm our commitment to working towards a justice system that is fair, compassionate, and responsive to the needs of all victims impacted by crime. Heather, can we start off by you giving us a brief explanation of the Crime Victim Compensation Program? Sure, Tony. So, if you're a victim of crime, it can be extremely devastating and it can have an, an, a huge impact on a victim's life. And so victim compensation essentially provides financial assistance for those victims of crime if they have some sort of financial loss from being a victim of crime. It can provide relief to those victims who have that financial challenge that they may need assistance on. So it can cover expenses related to their physical harm, to their mental distress or other losses that they may have experienced. Those can be things such as medical costs or out-of-pocket medical bills, mental health counseling that they may need, funeral expenses for their loved ones, any wage loss. So if they're unable to work as a result of, of the victimization, it can also assist with crime scene cleanup and some transportation costs. So it can help victims who have those expenses, who don't have other support or other means to pay for those. And it can provide that, that financial assistance to victims. So during their greatest time of need, this program can step in and help the victim with some of those expenses. Can you talk a little bit about why it's essential to discuss the victim compensation program and how it, particularly how it helps victims of crime? Yeah, I think it's great to discuss this, one, so the victim is aware that this program exists, and also so service providers know that this program exists. 
I have direct experience working for a victim services agency, a domestic violence shelter here local. And when I was a staff member at that domestic violence shelter, I can tell you I did not know about victim compensation before I came to this agency. So I think just providing information that this program exists and that we can be, you know, a safety net for victims during their time of need, that if someone has been victimized, they've been a victim of crime, they may apply for this program, you know, for the financial assistance for some of those out-of-pocket costs. Can you talk about the program's history, sort of where it comes from, what it does for crime victims, how it works? Yeah, so the programs have actually been around for a long time. The first program began in the state of California, and that began way back in 1965, with other states coming on board and, and establishing their own compensation programs following California. Arizona's program began in 1986, so this program's been around for 37 years in the state of Arizona. And in 1986, the federal government also began providing grants to states for their victim compensation program. So they began assisting states in their endeavors to assist victims of crime. In Arizona, the program is administered here at the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission. So I want to touch on Arizona's program because we are unique compared to the rest of the country. We are a decentralized program. So what that means is while we administer the program here and we oversee that here at our agency, we actually have 15 individualized programs in Arizona, and those are operated in each of our counties. Each county has a victim compensation program, and those programs are currently housed in the county attorney's offices within each of Arizona's counties. As I mentioned, we have Shauna Mitchie here from Maricopa County. Maricopa County is actually the largest compensation program in terms of both volume of victims, so the number of applications and victims that they serve, as well as dollars that they provide to victims for those costs. So Maricopa is the largest. They have a large number of staff. They have their own county board that makes the decisions on the claims that come in. And then we have, you know, very rural counties such as Greenlee and Graham. They may have, you know, one staff member. For a victim, if they've been a victim of crime, they will actually submit the application to the county in which the, the crime has occurred. For Shauna and Maricopa County, they are, they are working with those victims that have been victimized in Maricopa County. Bringing Shauna into the discussion, Shauna, Heather mentions this decentralized structure in each county having its own program. Can you start out by giving us a brief overview of your role as the Victim Compensation Program Bureau Chief? and then how your bureau supports victims of crime. Of course. It's my role as the bureau chief to oversee the work of my staff and ensure they are performing their duties and meeting the mission of the program and the victim services division. So I train and mentor my staff and the board members to ensure that they're in compliance with the ACJC rules. We help support the advocates within the Victim Services Division to ensure that the victims are aware of the Victim Compensation Program. If they're needing an application or needing to get those bills submitted to us, we're there to assist them. I ensure my staff is preparing the bills and applications to get to the monthly board meetings. I ensure that the budget is reviewed. And one thing that I think is really important, I evaluate emergency awards. So when families are unable to pay for funerals or if a victim is unable to pay for therapy, I'm able to see if our county can issue an emergency award to assist that victim. And then I do quarterly reporting for ACJC. The fun part. The fun of, part. Of government <laughs> bureaucracy. Yes. How big is your office? 
As far as your bureau. My bureau, I have 10 staff members. 10 staff members. Shauna, in your program, what are the most common types of crimes that your program deals with? And what are some examples of support that you would provide victims of those crimes? So we deal with homicides, child and adult sex crimes. We deal with all types of domestic violence cases. And like you mentioned, we provide financial support to victims of crime. So that can look like funeral assistance to include emergency awards, counseling, medical expenses, wage loss. And we also assist with a lot of counseling expenses. Can you describe the process a victim goes through to access the resources and compensation provided by your program? Sure. They're typically either receiving a referral or Google searching some some way, somehow they're getting the information to get to victim compensation. Once they locate the program, they are required to complete an application, whether it's a paper application or through the online portal. And then we have to bring that application before the board to get approved. We don't require any bills be submitted in initially, but if they are turning in bills, we do have to verify those bills to make payments to the provider or reimburse the victim as well. You mentioned kind of the provider bills and things like that. What kind of documentation is typically required? So we require itemized statements, invoices, or receipts. Shauna, how do you ensure that your program is inclusive and accessible to people from diverse backgrounds and experiences, including those facing language barriers or disabilities or any other kind of challenge? So we work with all types of victims, cultural and diverse backgrounds. And I think it's important that we just treat all victims with the respect and dignity and start by acknowledging that anyone reaching out to us for assistance has been through some sort of trauma and just treating them with compassion and dignity. We do utilize things such as the language line. We have claim specialists who work there who have different language skills, and we're able to reach out if we're needing other resources to accommodate the victims. Do you have a service that would translate that would allow that person to communicate what their needs are and then hear back from from you on what they needed to do? Yes. So just the other day, we had a victim who spoke Vietnamese come in to complete an application and we were able to in person utilize a service that allowed the claim specialist to speak with that victim and ensure she understood all the paperwork she was signing so that we could assist her. Along those lines, how does your program work with other organizations or agencies such as law enforcement or healthcare providers, uh, nonprofit organizations, to ensure that victims receive that comprehensive support throughout that, that recovery process that they, that they need? So I would say we have a great working relationship with law enforcement, health care providers, and nonprofits in our community. We oftentimes receive referrals directly from those entities requesting that the victim, like to get the victim to our program. And that's some ways that we receive the applications. We have providers that work with us to allow billing directly to them so that the victims don't have to pay out of pocket for services. And that's one way we help alleviate the financial burden to those victims so that they can receive medical care or therapy or, in some instances, funeral services. And that seems to really be a good service that we're able to provide victims in our community. I think it's important, too, to point out that a lot of the entities that can make a victim aware of the victim compensation program are also the same organizations or agencies that 
are going to be asked to provide information to support that claim. For example, law enforcement may refer someone to the compensation program, someone puts in an application, but then you're going to need something from the law enforcement agency to support that a crime happened, like a police report, hospitals, referring someone to the compensation program. But at some point, we also have to have a relationship with those providers to get information like billing or a better way of paying a bill so that a victim isn't inserted in that process. It just goes directly to the the provider. So certainly compensation programs do an amazing job of building that relationship on both of those those levels. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Tony. And, and with that, I think our programs probably experience some challenges. So Shauna, what would you say are the biggest challenges you face in administering the victim compensation program in your county? <laughs> So um, I think one, the work we do is complex and comprehensive and just acknowledging that the reports that my staff read can be fairly graphic and sometimes that can take an emotional toll or have an impact on them. So as a supervisor, I make sure to do check-ins on my staff. I'm a big proponent of team building and self-care and debriefing with my staff to ensure that they're able to have that safe space and continue to do the work that they do. So I think that's a challenge in administering the program. One is the constant turnover in providers and law enforcement and maintaining those contacts so that we can continue to assist the victims. In our county, we've built a list of go-to people when we need to, let's say, verify a bill with the hospital. So we have a list of contacts we've been able to establish. And then Sometimes when we are down in staff, caseloads can get high and just maintaining that positive attitude and that the mission is always to serve the victims. And I think from our perspective here at the state or my perspective specifically, some of those challenges also can be, you know, making sure that that the folks that we are either training or providing the information to, whether that be service providers or advocates um, or even the victim themselves, you know, we do operate under a set of rules for the program. And just I think we do, you know, try to make sure that everyone understands those requirements and those specific requirements, such as law enforcement reporting, the crime was reported within a certain period of time, that an application was submitted within a certain period of time, that, that those requirements are met, that it's an eligible crime that we've verified that someone's a victim. And so I think from my perspective, just looking at all of our programs, I think you guys face kind of challenges in that, making sure you're communicating that directly and and efficiently and, and still assisting, providing assistance if the compensation program maybe can as well. So with that, how does your program or how do you work to overcome some of those challenges that you may face? Um, I think outreach is key, making sure people understand the program requirements before they're giving those referrals. And if a victim gets a bad referral, understanding why they can't apply to the program and what might be a better resource for them. So anytime someone's calling to see if they qualify for the program, if we're not able to assist them, we try to find a resource that might be able to assist that person. Unfortunately, sometimes there's not a referral out there. And we never like saying no, but Unfortunately, no sometimes is the answer. Can you share a success story of a victim who has benefited from your program and how it helped them get back on that path to healing and recovery? Sure. So I find it really powerful when someone can take something so traumatic and turn it into something positive. So at the end of our cases, whether we've paid up to the maximum allotment or we just can't assist with services any longer, we sent out a survey. 
So I've brought some examples, two to be exact, if you would allow me to share them. Absolutely. Um, Love to hear them. Okay. So in the first case, the victim compensation assisted a mother whose daughter was shot and killed by her boyfriend. They shared a child in common, so we were able to pay for the funeral and then loss of support for the child. Um, In the survey, the grandmother wrote, I didn't even know about this program. I cannot say enough about how kind and compassionate my claim specialist was. She walked me through the process and made things very easy during a very difficult time. She is amazing, and please tell her thank you with all of my heart. My grandson now has a college savings fund started. So I just think that was very powerful. The next one was a victim of a DUI collision. He was driving his motorcycle. He survived, but he sustained serious bodily injury. So the Victim Compensation Board approved a large amount of wage loss for him. So him and his wife wrote on their survey, my claim specialist was a godsend. We had a very horrible year with my husband's accident. When my husband heals, I want to help victims and make a difference in someone's life like our claim specialist did for us. I think those are great examples of what the program does for folks through kind of those most traumatic moments in their life. And so with that, you know, your program obviously deals with a lot of confidential issues or really personal, whether that be documentation or police reports. What measures does your program take to protect the privacy and confidentiality of the victims who are seeking assistance through your program? From the time a victim applies to the program, we don't release any information to anyone that's calling other than the victim or the claimant unless we're given verbal or written consent. When presenting a victim's case to the board, the board only gets initials, and then we redact all personal identifiers. So we take the victim's information and their confidentiality very seriously. As the kind of the victim compensation administrator, I'll step in for another question, Shauna. How is your victim compensation program funded, and do you face any challenges securing adequate resources in order to meet the needs of the victims that you serve? So we are completely grant-funded, and I think that's one of the things we often see is um, people saying, you know, my taxpayer dollars are going to pay this, and that's a common misconception. But we are completely grant-funded. If we ever run out of our grant funding, we have restitution and subrogation dollars set aside. But funding levels can always change, and as they have in the past, that can have an impact on how our board allocates spending to victims. So for example, they wouldn't approve a full amount of a wage loss claim. They would issue it in smaller monthly payments if our funding was lower. So our grant funding does directly impact the board's decision. So with funding levels constantly changing, it does impact victims. Yeah, and that kind of funding instability can definitely be challenging, especially for a program um, when you're dealing with with these victims coming in. And just to highlight, you mentioned restitution. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the restitution, that would be if you have paid out expenses for a victim, you can seek restitution if the offender is arrested and charged and then sentenced for that crime. Is that correct? Correct. So we are, we, the program is essentially recouping some of those costs through, you know, restitution that the offender will pay to the program. Yes, okay. and we, we often do that. Heather, can you explain what subrogation is? Sean had mentioned that as a, as a resource for programs here in Arizona. So subrogation is if essentially if, if victim compensation has paid for an expense, whether that be directly to a provider, so say a medical expense to a, to a hospital or medical facility, and then say insurance then issues a payment for that same 
expense after. So, you know, it takes a while for insurance to process through and insurance issues, you know, a payment, say, to the victim for that same expense that we pay. Subrogation is just essentially us recouping that cost that another source paid for. The victim compensation program is what we call a payer, a last resort. We utilize other sources of payment before we would issue a victim compensation payment. So that would be things like insurance, or if you're looking for wage loss, it would be any wage loss continuation program or time off that your employer may have. We would utilize those sources first before compensation would pick up. So that way we are essentially the last payer to pay for those expenses. And subrogation would just be a way to utilize and recoup those funds that we have paid an expense for that another source can pay for. In a way, then sounds like it's stretching the limited dollars that you have because you can't pay everything for everybody. You're limited. And so you have to kind of prioritize where those fund sources come from or who's paying what. And if you can use other sources to cover some of those expenses, that allows the compensation program dollars to be spent on those folks that maybe don't have those those resources available to them, like insurance. Absolutely. Shauna, what are the most critical steps that the Maricopa County Compensation Program can take to support victims of crime better and address the trauma and economic loss that victims may experience? I think awareness and understanding and empathy. We have an amazing victim services division, and then I always ensure my claim specialists are trained on all of the matters. So in victim services, it's broken up into specific bureaus. But in victim compensation, the claims specialists get all the, all of the crime types. So I think it's important that they understand all of the dynamics of the different crime types so that they're able to serve their victims. And I just think that the community support, whether it's employers or providers, medical providers, therapists, continuing to support the victims and support the program so that we all can continue to support victims is important. I know that the ARS statute that states victims cannot be sent to collections has passed, but we're still continuing to see victims being sent to collections. So that's one thing that our county is really struggling with and trying to continue to educate medical providers on. Yeah. Well, it's it's a good segue into a discussion about the future of the victim compensation program in Arizona. So I'll throw this out to both of you. What potential improvements or changes to the program might we see in the future? So I can take a stab at this from our perspective here at the state. One of the potential improvements and changes that we would like to see here would be stabilizing the funding. So Shauna kind of mentioned, you know, the funding challenges that programs may experience. And and we experience that at the state since we are providing those grants and those funds to our individual county programs. And so working with our state legislature and executive leadership to stabilize funding for the program and also increase funding for the victim compensation program. So we continue to see an increased need in expenses that are coming forward in the amount of applications that we're seeing. So just making sure that we have that funding available for years to come so we can continue to support victims in Arizona. And as Shauna kind of touched on as as well is providing information to both service providers and victims. So increasing the visibility of this program and providing that outreach, whether that be through training or just information, so we can make sure that the folks who could utilize this program, are aware that it exists, and we can continue to, to help those victims in the state of Arizona. So from our perspective, those are some of the things that, that I see from the state. Shauna, how about you from a local program perspective? I would agree with everything that you said, Heather. From a local perspective, I would just 
want to work towards establishing a statewide resource list for victims. So while someone can be victimized in Maricopa County, that doesn't mean that they always live in Maricopa County. So they may be here on vacation and live down in Tucson. So just knowing all the providers statewide would be helpful. And then establishing a set rate for providers to help streamline the negotiation process, I think would be very helpful. Shawnee, make a good point that we haven't really mentioned negotiation. So our programs, you know, and maybe you can better explain this, essentially you may get a medical bill that is for a very large amount of money that would be more than what our program could pay for. Does your program negotiate or try to negotiate those rates? Yes, we do. And so our stance is if the victim does not have insurance, we are automatically requesting a negotiation. But if a victim has insurance and their bills exceed what the program can pay, we then request negotiations as well. And so we find that negotiations often take a very long time and it's a back and forth and requires lots of follow-up. So I think just trying to have a set rate would streamline that process. Absolutely. And you just mentioned the rate. I'll just kind of plug here for victim compensation. I don't think we've mentioned it, that the maximum amount for a claim is $25,000. So if a victim were to submit an application, that is the maximum amount that victim compensation would be able to assist with. Thinking about support for the compensation program, when I think of support, I think of two kinds of support. One is the obvious support of, of funding. And we need the support of the legislature and the governor to provide provide state resources for the victim compensation program. I also think about the federal government. The federal government provides some resources as well through a federal grant to support the victim compensation program. When I also think of support, I think of advocates that talk about the victim compensation program, the staff members that work in the victim compensation program, law enforcement or providers that may talk about the compensation program and refer. So if we think about support from those two perspectives, Could you both discuss the importance of continuing and maybe improving that support for the compensation program and its impact on or potential impact on the compensation program? Yeah, absolutely. You've talked on a few things for support and I'll first touch on the financial or the fiscal impact and the continued support and need for that for this program. Last year, so in 2022, we paid out over $3.6 million in expenses for victims of crime in Arizona. So that is an increase over the last couple of years. And I think we'll continue to see an increase in the need and the requested amount, as well as the amount that that is requested to pay out. So obviously the fiscal impact is large and, and the more funding that we have, the more victims were able to support. So within that, I think we had over 1,700 applications submitted, which is a, a larger number than we've seen over the last couple of years. We, and we saw more individuals than you know the 1,700 applications. So we can have multiple individuals on applications. So the reach is getting broader. I think the need is increasing and the expenses are there and the victims need support for that. So there's definitely a financial support that's continued for the program. I think from a service provider perspective, like law enforcement and victim service providers, just knowing that this program exists and it's a potential resource for those folks when they're working with with the victim, that if they see a need that there's medical expenses and the victim is struggling to pay for those or there's a funeral and they need resources for mental health counseling or for funerals, that this program can be a resource for them. So, you know, 
while the answer may be no, that we can't assist in, in certain instances, um, let's work with the victim to see what can we help with or are there other programs that we can provide assistance, that we can provide referrals for? So I think just increasing that visibility, that folks have a general understanding of compensation. So we, you know, the the programs are the subject matter experts, but we would appreciate advocates understanding the basics of the compensation program and just providing that resource to victims so they can they can come in our door and, and we can see if we can assist them. I would agree with Heather getting the information about the victim compensation program out there to have victims reach out to us to see if they're eligible for the program or find other programs that might be better able to assist them. Sean, I think that's a great point. So we provide training. I think your program does that as well for local service providers or anyone that asks for training. So I think it's important to provide that training. So if, if an advocate or law enforcement is working with a victim and maybe the victim has just general questions before they've come to our program, that they can provide the the information that's beneficial and that's correct. So they're not, you know, steering the victim in the wrong direction as well in case, you know, for example, if it's a property crime and, and you know, we would hate for someone to give incorrect information that victim compensation can potentially assist with the property loss or something like that. And so making sure that we're providing the information out there, that they could also have a basic understanding of the victim compensation program, you know, because we, we would hate for victims to go back and forth with resources that potentially aren't able to assist them. In addition to the importance of continued support for the program, there's also the importance of the program to the crime victim. Can you talk about the importance of this program to the very people it's meant to serve? Yeah, I think this program, it's a, it is so important for a victim to know that they have this potential resource available, whether they need to utilize it or not, that, that just says it's a resource available. They may, they may not need it today. They may not need the mental health counseling today, but they may need it down the road and that we are still a potential resource that we can assist them with that counseling to help deal with the effects of the victimization or the trauma that, that they've been dealing with or that they may be dealing with down the road. If they're a victim of crime in Arizona, they are eligible and they can apply in Arizona. As Shauna mentioned too, if they are a victim of crime outside of one of the 50 states or U.S. territories, they're an Arizona resident and they're victimized somewhere else, they can apply for victim compensation in the state of Arizona if they're a resident here. So even understanding that that is also a potential resource and, and maybe sometimes that's not properly provided because they're not working with local law enforcement for that case. You know, as Shauna mentioned, potentially a, a Vietnam case, right? So they're not providing information on Arizona's victim compensation program. So just knowing that the the resources are available. Everyone knows where to go for that information, where they could get that information, and that we're always here to assist and answer any questions. And I think in addition to the financial component, there's also a validating the victim. If it's not going through the criminal justice system, just knowing that the victim compensation validates you as a victim, I think that's also an important component of this program. And you just said something that I think we should emphasize. You could be a victim of a crime that is not being prosecuted, but you can come to the victim compensation program for help. So the test of whether you, you're eligible to receive help is whether you're the victim of a crime, not whether your case was prosecuted or the, the crime related to your victimization was prosecuted, correct? Correct. Yeah, Tony, this 
the program does not require an arrest to be made or someone to be charged or even prosecuted. You know, we just require that it be reported to police in that aspect. But we're the the compensation program has no bearing. Um, the decisions have no bearing whether that's been charged or prosecuted or an individual's been arrested for that crime. So with that, I also we've we've kind of touched on this a little bit. I want to encourage all of our listeners to share information about the program with others who may benefit from its services. So if you are listening to this and you would like to know more information about victim compensation, feel free to reach out to us at ACJC. And I just encourage you to share this information if if you're working with victims or service providers so we can expand that reach and provide that information to anyone listening. Well, I have so much appreciated this discussion from you, Heather, and you, Shauna. Um, Any last words from both of you? I want to just thank Shauna today and the work that I know the programs and staff at the individual county programs do. You guys are doing, you are the boots on the ground. You are the ones that are working with, with victims through some of the most traumatic moments of their life. And so first, I just want to thank you, Shauna, and all of the county programs who, who administer this program in the counties. And then I also just want to share with everyone, again, if you need information or you want to reach out for training, don't hesitate to contact us here at ACJC or your individual county program for that information. So I just want to share that kind of last bit of information that we'd be happy to share anything with you if you have questions. Well, I also want to thank ACJC for having me and assisting anytime Maricopa County has a question. With that being said, I just want to take the time to acknowledge that, you know, with Victim Rights Crime Week, it's really important to celebrate all of those doing the work and the reason for this week. But if anyone's looking for information regarding the Maricopa County Victim Compensation, it can be found on the Maricopa County website under Victim Compensation. That's great, Shauna. So they can find, you can find individual information on Maricopa County's website as well as ACJC's. You can go to azcjc.gov. We have a victim compensation program tab. On that tab, you can find information regarding each of the county's contact information. So we have all of the county program information listed. We have a copy of the paper application. So if an individual would like to submit an application via paper, they can do that. We also have a link to the online application portal, as well as some other general information on there, such as brochures, um, some pamphlets, and some general information regarding compensation. So if you're interested in learning more, I would definitely encourage you um, to visit our website and Maricopa County's website as well. Well, Sean, I, I wanted to echo Heather's comments about thanking you for the work that you do and thank your staff and really all victim compensation program advocates and coordinators, thanking them for the work that they do. I had mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that when you do your best work, when you are the best victim advocate, when you're the best victim compensation staff member, it's when someone likely is experiencing things at their worst. (laughs) Heather and I also would like to extend to you a heartfelt thanks for you coming down here and talking with us and sharing your valuable insights and expertise about the Crime Victim Compensation Program here in Arizona. Your dedication to supporting crime victims and ensuring they have access to the resources they need to heal and recover is is truly inspiring. Your contributions to this episode have shed light on the importance of the Crime Victim Compensation Program and how it can make a significant difference 
in the lives of those impacted by violent crime. Clearly, your passion for justice and compassion for victims is recognized and appreciated, and we are grateful for the work that you do every day to support our communities. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission's Criminal Justice Spotlight podcast, and for all your staff members' work in providing services to victims and their ongoing commitment to promoting victim rights and advocating for a fair and equitable justice system. Thank you for listening to the Criminal Justice Spotlight podcast. This has been an Arizona Criminal Justice Commission production. For more information about the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission, visit www.azcjc.gov and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you like this episode and are interested in hearing more, subscribe to Criminal Justice Spotlight on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.